Uh, if you're new here, my name is Mike. Um, really welcome to the church. It's great to have you with us. I work with Jonty um, in serving this church. It's really great that we can come to God's Word now. So if you've got your Bibles to hand, uh, whether it's on your phone or if you've got a physical Bible, please do grab it and turn to John chapter 16, uh, starting at verse 16. So John chapter 16, verse 16, and we're going to read through to the end of the chapter, verse 33. Great, let me read. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we come before your word now. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to see what you speak of. Help us to see the risen King, our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to know the comfort that we have in him, the joy that we can have in him, the peace that we may have in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. I said, I was saying earlier, I was hoping in the service no one would mention Christmas, and I'd be able to say something. But Johnty got there first. Um, it's, but that's because it's the end of November. It's November the twenty-first today. That means Christmas is not far off. We've got that. But those, for those of you who like this sort of stuff, if you go to Google or DuckDuckGo, whatever you use, you can type in "countdown until Christmas," and there are tons of websites that give you a countdown clock to show you how many days you have until Christmas. 
If you were to go back home today and, and look it up, it, was, it will say 33 days and however many hours till Christmas. Or 792 hours, or 47,520 minutes, give or take a few hundred minutes. In layman terms, basically just over a month. Now, what does that mean? That means I should, I really should start thinking about Christmas presents and plans. But what happens every year? Lastminute.com. I become really good friends with the delivery drivers who keep dropping stuff off to, my, to our front door. But here's the point. Knowing what time it is, is really important because it determines how you live and act now. It's a simple life tip. Check what time it is to know what you should be doing with your life. So, if you're meant to go and see some friends for dinner tomorrow night, it's a good idea at some point in the afternoon to check what time it is, and then you oh, now's the time to get dressed and ready to go. This becomes a key question for us, though, as Christians. What time is it? What time are we living in today with respect to God, to the world, to Jesus, to what the Bible speaks of, which will help us to, to live as Christians, which will shape the way we live as Christians? And this passage helps us to answer that question. Let me show you how. This is now the last conversation Jesus has on this final night that we've been looking at in chapters 13 through to 16. The last conversation, what is he going to leave his disciples with? What's going to be his last word to his disciples? They've had tons of stuff thrown at them. We saw last week, verse 12, they're at a point where they can't bear anymore. Their, their heads are maxed out. They've been confused on numerous occasions. They're like, Jesus, what do you mean? We don't get it. This is the, the most confusing dinner party they've ever been to. And the mood's not exactly that light either. There's been talk of death and departure, betrayal and denial. And in that turmoil, what is going to be Jesus' final word? Verse 16. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Here's Jesus' simple promise to his disciples. You will see me again. It's not a goodbye, it's a see you soon. And that is going to make a world of difference to the disciples. When I was a kid, my, my dad used to go on these long business trips to East Asia for business. Well, that's why it's called a business trip. Um, and he'd often, he'd often be gone for quite a few weeks. But every time he left, he was really careful to say to me and my sister, see you soon. I'll be back soon. He didn't say goodbye. Because goodbye has a sense of finality, that the end, not sure when I'll see you again. It's so, so different when you know that person's going to come again, you're going to see them again. Now, these poor disciples, Jesus in verse 6 is, is sort of a cryptic phrase for them. They're confused enough as it is, as we've seen. And if he just said, in a little while you will see me no more, full stop, then that might have made sense to them. Because they know he's been talking about going back to the Father, and oh yeah, that makes sense. But then he says, then after a little while you will see me. And now they're like, okay, mind blown, what is going on again? And then the rest of this passage is a bit like the shadow game. If you ever play that, you know, you just keep repeating the other person until they get confused. But I think John is doing this for effect. He wants us to see the significance of what Jesus is saying as you read it. It's like, you know, that tidier room, tidier room, tidier room. You hear that echo. You know, like, I get it. When I, was, when I was a teenager, right? When you were a teenager, hopefully. Anyway, but this is what Jesus is doing. He wants us to focus on this. Uh, you know when you're on your smartphone, you've got like the photos you've taken throughout the year. Say 2020, you've got all your photos lined up and you start tapping to, to hone in. And you tap into the month and then the week and then the day. And then you tap in, finally get to that one photo that sums up everything about 2020. 
which will be probably like borrow market completely empty because no one's around. That is what Jesus is doing. He is zooming on that picture that summarizes his entire ministry, that one picture that everything in John's gospel has been pointing to, the entire reason why he left his father to come to the world and now he's leaving the world to return to his father. He wants them to see that his journey back to the father would be through the cross and the resurrection. This is what he means with these two little whiles. The first little while, the disciples would see Jesus led away, the Lamb of God about to be slaughtered to take away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist testified in John chapter 1. Jesus, the very great I am, as the shepherd who would in a little while lay his life down for his sheep, John chapter 10. Why? Because the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's John 12, 23. Would Jesus refuse that? John 12, 27. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. This was always going to be the path that Jesus took to give all glory to God, to come to die on a cross for his sheep, for people like you and me. But the thing is, Jesus wants to be really clear here. There are two little whiles. It doesn't end there. Sure, in a little while, you're going to see me die on a cross and be buried in a tomb, but just you wait. Just you wait, because in a little while you will see me again. Because Jesus did not stay dead. The tomb did not remain sealed, but the stone would be rolled away, and there Jesus would stand in victory. He is hinting at this to the disciples. The next time you see me, I will be ruling and reigning over everything as the risen king. It's like that scene in The Lord of the Rings. You know, one of my, it's one of my favorite books slash movies, depending on what mood you're in. You know, when Gandalf the Grey, he's fighting the Balrog. He falls in battle, but then he returns victorious, clothed in glorious white. It's like that with these two little whiles, where Jesus is going to usher in an entirely new era from grey to white. And it's as though at that point in time, he's shouting, look, check your watch. In the current generation, check your phone, because you don't wear watches now. Back then, check your sundial, I guess. That's what they were saying. Look, what time is it? Because in two little whiles, what time is it going to be? It's going to be the time when Jesus will rise to reign as the risen king. In a little while, the disciples would see him alive, scars in his hands and feet, no longer a lamb being led to the slaughter, but as a mighty lion of Judah who has conquered the grave. See, this challenges our view of the resurrection because it's not that Jesus is the risen king only when he returns to sit on the throne. He's the risen king from the moment of his resurrection. This new era where Jesus stands victorious begins at the cross and the resurrection where he defeats sin and death once and for all and rises in glory. Now for sure, we will see, only see the full benefits of this when he returns and he brings in the new creation. But the era, his rule, it starts today. It starts then, after those two little whiles. Here's another way to think about it. Jesus is the risen king from the moment when he rises again. He's still the risen king today. And he will be the risen king into eternity. To use Bible language, he is the same risen king yesterday, today, and forever. And what this means is this. Sure, right, we here, sitting here, didn't get to see the risen Lord in the flesh like the disciples did for 40 days after his resurrection. But you know what? We live in the same era as the disciples, where Jesus has risen and he reigns today, just as he reigned back then with his disciples. We worship the same risen king, the resurrected Messiah, the same as the disciples did back then. 
And this is why this passage is comfort for his disciples and for us today. Because if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, we will see him face to face in a little while. You're going to see the risen Lord, the majestic Messiah, the righteous King over all creation from then into eternity alongside his disciples. That is what Jesus wants us to know. And this is the beauty of this passage. He doesn't just talk about these two little whiles to teach his disciples some theological truths about the cross and the resurrection. As important as those things are, but this shows his heart. John T. was picking up on that about the love of God. Look, this is his love to bring comfort for his disciples in the middle of this turmoil. Right before he's told them that he's leaving. He's like, see you soon. I wonder if you've walked in here today feeling really burdened by the times we live in. Even just looking at the news, you get that, but you might be in a particular situation that's really burdening you. Have you sat down today with your heart and mind in turmoil? Then check what time it is. Today, 21st of November, 2021, tomorrow into eternity, it's going to be the time when the risen king reigns, still reigns, will always reign. That is what time it is. How often do you remind yourself that Jesus is actually the risen king? It's not just some truth that you hear, but he is actually risen and he's living and ruling today. How often do you think that actually, you know what? We are living in the same era as the disciples, in that same period after the second little while, where Jesus is alive. Man, that should give us comfort. Knowing that Jesus is alive, that he has conquered sin, brokenness, and death, and he stands in victory which the resurrection proves everything, by the way, that should be comfort enough for his disciples. But Jesus does go on. He shows us three more specific ways, three reasons why we should have this comfort. Three specific ways to answer the question, what time is it? Here's the first. It's a time when sorrow turns to joy. Why? Because Jesus is risen. See, when, I went on, uh, when my dad went on these business trips as a kid, I knew, he said, you know, I'll see you soon. But I still felt a little bit sad, you know, it's sad knowing he's going to be gone for three weeks and dad's not going to be around. I mean, I still love mum, but um, Rachel, I don't know if she does the same. But, but back then, in those days, we didn't have smartphones, you couldn't do video chats. Skype didn't even exist, if you know what Skype is, that's like in the past now. And dad would call, because long distance calls were so expensive, he'd only call at the airport when he was there in Malaysia or Singapore, he'd call and say, I'm, I'm on a flight coming back. And then we'd know. And so what do we do? We drive down to Heathrow. And you just have to time it. There wasn't even a smartphone to check what time it's coming in. No teletext back then, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's basically on TV. You punch in some numbers, and this like blocky thing comes up telling you when the plane's landing. And, we get, and when you get there, there's no ANPR at the, at the ticket office. You just have to drive through and just go, hmm, how long do you think it'll be? Two hours, four hours, six hours? You just have to pay and just hope that you don't get a ticket. And you go through. And then it's like the, the clock, the, the, it ticks over. It's like there's, no, there's no, none of this flat screen TVs. And it goes, oh, landed. And then baggage in hall. And you're like, that's the moment. My dad's going to be here soon. And there we are, crouching down, me and my little sister. Well, she's older than me. She was, anyway. Um, there we are, crouching down, and, and the sliding doors opening and closing, opening and closing, and then you see Dad in the distance walking. And what do we do? We run with beaming smiles. Dad, Appa, Dad. Appa means Korean, and it's Korean for Dad. And we run, and we, the joy. But with Jesus, all right, multiply that emotion by. Jesus makes it clear there will be sorrow. 
you will grieve. He says that in verse 20, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn. Why? Because the disciples in a little while would see their Lord, their master, their teacher nailed to a cross. Now, if you know anything about crucifixion, you've heard this hundreds of times, but when you look into it, it's not just the fact that he's nailed to a cross. It's not just the fact that he's naked and ashamed on a hill. The excruciating pain of the cross is that you're suffocating. And every time you want to breathe and suck in air, you have to pull yourself up so you can breathe. Can you imagine doing that with nails in your hands and feet? And back then, the cross would not have been sanded and varnished down for him. And so every time Jesus is pulling himself up, splinters, thorns going into his back. And the disciples are sitting there watching him doing this for minutes, for hours. Can you imagine the grief and the sorrow? See, the cross is a beautiful image for the Christian. But at the same time, it should remind us, it should grieve us that Jesus had to endure this for us. And it's not just the physical pain, but the immense spiritual pain to know that the burden of taking on his father's wrath, all of it, every single drop, poured out on him at the cross. Why? For us. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because we were helpless, because we cannot save ourselves like sheep without a shepherd. Rescuing us was something only God could do, and he would do that in the most painful, excruciating, sorrowful, and yet glorious way possible through the death of his very own son. <laughs> you see, as this happens, verse 20, while the world rejoices, the Pharisees, the people then, they loved watching Jesus being crucified. They mocked him, they scorned him. We don't, we don't want this king ruling over us. And the heart of the world, I don't think is much different as it was back then. See, when you talk to people about Jesus, not just the turn your other cheek stuff, but when you genuinely say he's the son of God and he is your Lord, people don't want him around. They'd much rather have him out of their lives than in. And that is exactly who Jesus died for. So that the blind might see, so that they might grieve at the, at the thought of their own sin, at the sight of their own sin, and see what Jesus endured for them. That is who Jesus died for. But the world doesn't want to see it. But then he goes on. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And in a little while, your grief will turn to joy. And he illustrates this with an example in verse 21 of that of childbirth. Now, my friends recently, uh, close friends of mine, recently had a baby born to them. Thursday morning, 3 a.m. They've been in and out of hospital. It's been slightly complicated. She's been in lots of pain. And that's the thing. The closer you get to the point when the, the birth's coming, the pain grows bigger, the anguish grows bigger and bigger. Until what moment? When the baby arrives. They actually called her Joy, which is quite a fitting name. And that's what Jesus says. Look, there's going to be anguish, but when the time comes, after a little while, there will be utter joy. Now, this isn't just some illustration he's plucked out the air thinking, oh, that would be a nice way to put it. This is actually an image found in the Old Testament. There are numerous references to kind of like this in Isaiah 66, Jeremiah 13. It refers to the pain that God's people would endure and suffer before immense joy would come. Particularly in Isaiah 26, it refers to the Messiah and the resurrection as the reasons for that joy. And so Jesus has this in the back of his mind as he's telling the disciples. He'll know that they'll understand this. Now, this illustration that Jesus uses is meant to illustrate the move from sorrow to joy found in the people of God. But as I was preparing this, I, was just, I became fully aware that it can actually be a painful illustration for some to hear. There'll be many people that you know 
some among our church family who would love to have kids but are unable to or are finding it difficult. There are others among us who have endured the pain of miscarriage, of having all that pain with no joy. And that's a hard and painful reality for many, which I just wanted to acknowledge. We as a family have endured something similar too. And I just want you to notice, Jesus doesn't ignore the pain. He wholly acknowledges it. This is part of the far-reaching impact of sin, and he knows it's there. So it's right for us to be in anguish, to grieve, to mourn in those times. But as we work through that pain, that sorrow, Jesus wants us to know that he has ushered in a new era. Now, it's not complete yet. We're kind of in the now and not yet period of history, but Jesus reigns. He is the risen king who brings us all hope to a future where there will be no more sorrow, grief, mourning, pain, tears, miscarriage, infertility, you name it. I pray this may be a comfort to you. And the key to, the key to this is, that look at the end of verse 22. No one will take away your joy. No one. See, the Christian joy is not based on what's going on around us. It's not circumstantial. It's not like happiness in this world. That is based on things that are fleeting, that come and go. That's on, based on stuff that's Instagrammable. You know, on the food that you eat or the trips that you take. It's, it's almost like a drug that we constantly have to seek, which comes and goes. But Christian joy is not based on circumstance. It's not based on anything created in this world, actually. It's based on Jesus. It's based on the reality that not only has he dealt with our sin, but he has proven that he has. He has conquered death to show us that he can do exactly everything he promised that he could do. That sin is dealt with and that there is new life in him. See, our joy is based on the risen king who rules over everything. It's based on the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is why as Christians, though we grieve at the brokenness of this world, at the pain of this world, as we right, rightfully feel sorrow for our sin today, we have a hope when we turn to Jesus. And a joy that no one can take away. Why? Because our hope and trust is in Jesus who is alive and reigning today. And nobody can take him down. Satan tried. He tried the best he could, but he didn't get anywhere near, nowhere close. He was never going to win. Jesus has won and overcome. And those are words of comfort. Now today, even in your sorrow, in your grief, Jesus has ushered in a time to be joyful because in a little while you will see me again as the risen king. Are you feeling heavy, burdened, sorrowful today? And we want to grieve with you as a church for a little while. But then we look to our risen king to find hope and joy to know that he has ushered in a new era where there is this new life he has promised, which we can know of now and which will come in its fullness soon. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. What time is it? It's a time when confusion turns to clarity. Why? Because Jesus has risen. Look at verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. I don't think this is just referring to Jesus' parables and metaphors, but more specifically to this discourse, this conversation he's been having with his disciples in chapters 13 to 16, where the disciples are constantly confused. They don't really understand. Where is Jesus going? What does he mean he's returning to the Father? What does he mean by a little while? Currently, it's so confusing, but this will all become clear because a time is coming in a little while when the penny will drop. It's like when you do, uh, when someone gives you a riddle to do 
or they, you know, Christmas crackers, and there's just crummy jokes that come out. And then you, they say it, and you're like, oh, what's the answer? And they tell you, and everyone's like, oh, because you get it. Why is six so much afraid of seven? Seven, eight, nine. Yeah? You with me? What belongs to you, but other people use it more than you? Seven, seven eight, nine. <laughs> That's why six is afraid of seven, because seven, eight, nine. What belongs to you, but other people use it more than you? What belongs to you, but other people use more than you? Yeah, your name. Now, once you get it, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Here it is with Jesus. <laughs> Are we okay? So we've got it. Okay, okay. <laughs> Great, you're with me. You're with me. See, the penny drops and you get it. You're, yes, I get it. You see the light. And here it is with Jesus. In a little while, that confusion will become clarity. In a little while, everything Jesus has spoken about will become obvious. The two little whiles will, make, will start to make sense to the disciples as they see Jesus die on the cross and then in a little while rise again. What Jesus meant by him returning to the Father becomes clear to them as they see him rise again and then ascend to be with his Father. In a little while, they're going to see, if it wasn't clear to them already, who's going to betray Jesus. But more importantly, everything Jesus has shown them in his ministry over the years Throughout John's gospel, all of the great I am statements, that I am the light of the world, the door to salvation, the good shepherd, the resurrection and life, the way, the truth and the life, the true vine, all of those will make sense because Jesus has died, dealt with sin once and for all, and risen again to give new life. All of the seven signs in John will now make real sense. Oh, that's why he, he rose Lazarus from the dead. That's why he turned water into wine, because he's pointing to that future we're going to have with him. And you know what is more? Jesus, in this discourse, he's been constantly banging on about something. We've heard it quite a few times throughout. He has been talking about the promised Holy Spirit. See, as he brings in this new era after his resurrection, as he comes to see his disciples again, in John chapter 20, 22, what does he do? He breathes the promised Holy Spirit, and he says, guys, receive the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that will be their counselor, who will be with them, who will remind them and make clear everything that Jesus has taught. And do you know why this is good for us? Because we live in the same era today. We live in the era where the Spirit is given to all, that by faith, as our eyes are opened, as we, our sins are forgiven in Jesus, as we are given new life, the Spirit now lives in us so that we may see plainly who God is in Christ. That is why we can pray just like the disciples and the apostles did with complete access to our Father. That's what Jesus is saying in verses 24 to 25. In Jesus' name, we can pray in fullness to God according to Jesus' word, his spirit, and his will, so that there, through that, we know the fullness of joy that is complete in our risen King. God's love becomes clear to us. Verse 27, no, the Father himself loves us because of our faith that brings us into Christ. That will become clear to us. We'll know of that love just like the apostles and the disciples back then did as well. <laughs> the irony is, in all of this, Jesus says, explains this all. In verse 29, the, Jesus, the disciples sound like they get it. Now, oh, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. I kind of wonder, they're like, oh, we're maxed out. We just we need you to stop. I don't know if they really get it. It was a bit like me when I was invited to this dinner once. Um, my old boss's husband was a professor at LSE. He, he advised the government on big stuff. And then there was some other senior person, some financial institution. I was like, what am I doing here? 
Now, I studied economics at uni pretty badly, but I thought, I'd be okay. I can probably wing this. But within a couple of minutes, I had no clue what they were talking about. So I was like, can you explain what you mean? They explained it, really, really generous and gracious. And after another couple of minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm lost again. So I asked them again. And the third time, I just couldn't do it. It's sort of kind of nodding along, hoping that, please don't ask me, Mike, what do you think? Jesus turns to verse 31 and asks him, do you now believe, Jesus replied. And there's silence. But I want to pause here for a moment because there's something in this for us, for the readers of John's gospel today, to pause and think about what that question means. Does this make sense to you today in this new era? Are you starting to see how this new era that is ushered in by the resurrection helps us to make sense of everything that we've been seeing in John's gospel? Because what time is it? It's a time when confusion turns to clarity. Because Jesus has risen and lives today. And that means today we have clear access to the gospel, to the reality of what Jesus has achieved through the cross and the resurrection. You know what is interesting? When you read through Acts, the apostles, they often appeal to what? To the resurrection as proof of all that Jesus has done. So sisters, brothers, if you're you're here today as a Christian and you're living in confusion in this world, if this world is setting you in turmoil, then look to the risen king who lives today. Listen to him who says, you know, I died for you and rose again. Come to me. New life is found in me. I'll show you how much God loves you. If you're here this afternoon and you're burdened by that weight of sin and of guilt and shame and it's causing confusion in your walk with Christ and doubt, then look to the risen king who lives today and says, you know what? I've died for you. Trust me, I've dealt with that. Your sins are forgiven. My resurrection proves that. If you're new to Christian things, all of this may well be confusing to you, then I urge you to come and see what Jesus has done. Read another one of the gospel accounts because that too will focus on the same picture of the cross and resurrection. And I pray through that that it may become clearer to you so that you can answer Jesus when he asks, do you now believe? You can say yes and amen. Okay, here's the third thing. What time is it? It's a time when trouble will turn to peace. If it wasn't clear that the disciples didn't really get it in verses 29 to 30, then verse 32 makes it pretty clear because Jesus confirms that a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered like a bunch of ants scurrying to their nest when trouble comes. Because in a little while, they're going to see these soldiers, a group of soldiers come with their betrayer, Judas, who come to arrest Jesus. And at the first sign of trouble, what happens to these so-called faithful disciples? They scatter. Now, when we see that sort of scene, I, th- I think we tend to think, oh, would I, would I do that? Would I leave Jesus alone? Am I one of them? But I want to focus away from us and look to Jesus. Look at what he says. In verse 32, You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. (laughs) Jesus is saying, look, Jesus will always be God the Son. No matter what seems to happen around us, Jesus is unchanging. His identity is certain. He is God the Son come in flesh, who has come from the Father, entered the world, is now leaving the world to go back to the Father. He is always God the Son. See, when we look inward, we will have good days and bad days. When we think, oh, today I'm not going to abandon Jesus, no matter what comes. Sometimes when trouble comes, you really feel like you, you want to. But when we look outwards to him, we see that he is unchanging. He's always the same. And that's why we can trust him. 
Him who is God the Son, who has come in flesh to save us from the depths of our sin, who rose again from the dead, who rules and reigns today, we can look to him. He's still alive. He's still there. We can keep trusting in him. Why does he tell us all this? Verse 33, so that in me you may have peace. Because Jesus knows that today the world we live in is full of trouble. He knows that after the resurrection, though he has ushered in a new era, we will continue for a while in the not yet period where there is still trouble. But he wants us to know that he is the risen king, that he is the son of God, that our salvation, the love of God, is not determined by us, but thankfully it's determined by him and he is unchanging. He is the same one and only son given by God to the world. He is the same risen king today, as he was then. This is what I love. Look at the end of verse 33. If it wasn't clear for you already, Jesus says, okay, if you still don't get it, take heart. I have overcome the world. Notice the past tense. It's not that, look, I'm about to overcome the world by going to, no, he has overcome. Me being him, me being the son of God, I've overcome the world. Which is why we can take heart to know that even in the face of trouble in the world, we can have peace in him. That is what Jesus wants us to have and to know. That is why he's told us all of these things, to remind us that he is the risen king today. So friends, when we face troubles, when we feel like we want to run and abandon Jesus, look to him to see the risen king saying to you, hey, look, take heart, I have overcome the world. The affliction, the trouble, I know it's real, but it's momentary. In a little while, You'll see me again. You'll see me soon. And when we see those around us struggle, you know, as in recent times, we see Christian leaders falling and faltering around us. The temptation is for people's worlds and sometimes their faith to get really shaky. But here's the thing. When trouble comes, this happens to human leaders. Do you know what Peter said back in chapter 13 to Jesus? He said, you know, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Bold. But did he? He was among the ones here who scattered. Worse yet, he would go on to deny Jesus three times. Do not build your trust on Peter. Do not build your trust on other human leaders. Do not build it on the pastors of your church. Don't build it on me or Jonty. Build it only on the risen king who has overcome the world. Because only then, when you face trouble, will you know the peace that he promises. Friends, I pray that you would find comfort in these final words of Jesus. Because the resurrected Lord has ushered in a new era that is present for us today. Where today Jesus rules as the risen king. And so when we face sorrow, when we face confusion, when we face trouble, we can ask ourselves, what time is it? And we can look here to this passage. We can look to Jesus and remember, it's time when our Savior lives, when our King reigns. I pray that this would give you Joy, clarity, peace, and comfort this week and as we walk on in our Christian walk. Let's pray together. Let me just give you a moment just to reflect on what you've heard, on who Jesus is as the risen king. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the risen king 
You're the risen king yesterday, today, and forever. Father, thank you that we are in this new era where we can know that you are the risen king now. I pray that we would know that because of you being the risen king, our sorrow can turn to joy, our confusion can turn to clarity, our trouble will become peace. May we trust you and find comfort in you this week and in the future we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.